Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Well, Merry Christmas. I hope all your people are coming. They get here safe. They arrive safe. You have a great Christmas celebrations. Uh, we have a lot of reasons to rejoice. Uh, there was an uh, uh, Indian tribe in a remote part of the country, uh, they had a new chief that uh, took control of the tribe. Uh, on this re- remote reservation, one of the big issues was uh, winter. The tribe asked the chief, the new chief, whether he thought it was going to be a cold winter or a mild winter. And so the, the new, new chief, he r- raised in the modern world, he was never taught the old ways. He was never taught the old secrets. And so when he looked at the sky, he didn't see what the weather was going to be. Nevertheless, he answered him. He said, yeah, you, you should gather a lot of wood. You should gather a lot of materials because I think it's going to be a cold winter. But on the practical side, he decided to double check. So he got his phone and he called the National Weather Service. <laughs> he said uh, to the person answering, he said, do you think it's going to be a cold winter? And the meteorologist said to him, "Uh, indeed, we think it's going to be a cold winter. And so he went back to his people and he said, hey, it's going to be a cold winter. We need to gather a lot of wood. We need to make sure that we're warm this winter. We need to take care of ourselves to prepare. And so they did. They they gathered more wood. Uh, the, uh, the, the, The chief, though, he just wasn't quite satisfied. So he called the National Weather Service again. He said, do you think it's going to be a very cold winter? And the the man said, oh, definitely, yes, we think it's going to be a very cold winter. And so he went back to his people. He said, oh, you got to gather all the wood, man, all the scraps, everything. We want to be warm this winter and to be taken care of this winter. So they did. They they, they took everything, every every scrap they could find, every, every piece everywhere. They stocked up to prepare for a very cold winter. So the chief, though, he just, he cared about his people so much. He loved them so much. He wanted them to thrive that winter. So he called the the meteorologist again. He said, "Uh, are you absolutely sure it's going to be a very cold winter? And the man said, "Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We think it might be one of the coldest winters ever. And, And the chief said, well, how can you be so sure? And the meteorologist, with all the advanced degrees, all the titles, all the letters behind his name said, uh, well, we've been watching the Indians and they're gathering wood like crazy. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we come to that time of year, uh, not just Christmas time, but we come to that time of year where um, there's going to be a lot of prognosticators out there, predictors, self-proclaimed prophets telling us what's going to happen in 2024. There's going to be all kinds of stuff on your websites, your, your feed that's going to say, this is going to happen, this is going to take place, uh, prepare for this, watch out for this. Uh, people thinking that they're speaking for God are going to say, this is going to happen or this is going to take place. We as uh, the people of God, we as those who have been graced by God, who have been loved by God, who have been called into his family, we've been given the gift of the word of God. We have God's promises in this word. We have God's truths. We have God's will. Blessed us with his will, his word, his truth, his revelations. We as a people of God, we should believe in the revelation of God. We as a people of God should hear the word of God, follow and obey. Please open your Bibles to The Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. 
we should hear the word of God, believe it, and obey as a people of faith. May God bless the reading of his holy word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, a beautiful name. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Uh, we don't know how old old is back then. Was it 50s? Were in their 60s? Were in their 70s or 80s? We're not sure. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, both came from righteous families. They had the right bloodlines. They had the right lineage. Uh, Zachariah in the line of the priests. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, not all the priests married uh, other priests' daughters, but this family they did. Elizabeth came from the line of Aaron as well. In terms of their genealogy, in terms of their lineage, they were the inside track, so to speak, if you believe in legalism, if you believe that righteousness is granted to you by your merit or your status or your fame or whatever. But the word says about Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are righteous before God. And to make sure we understand what, it, what that means, righteous before God, right standing, seen by God is holy. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now again, uh, don't know if they're in their 50s, don't know if they're in their 70s. They've lived a life of righteousness. They've lived a life of godliness. They've kept all the commands. Now they're not sinless, of course. But here's a couple that God could say is righteous, holy in his sight. Which comes as a major revelation in the sense of they've got problems. They've got disappointments. They've got pain. The, uh, the going, the, the, the way to say it in the, old, in the old ways, in the old way of thinking was, uh, if you are blessed, if you're righteous, um, if you're blessing God, if you're serving God, if you're praising God, you're living for Him, you're glorifying Him, you're honoring Him, you're walking with His, uh, according to His commandments, that He's going to bless you. That if you live a righteous life, you're going to have a, a, a blessed life. You know, kind of the old prosperity gospel. You, you live a certain way, you, you walk in certain ways, you, uh, you do everything right, that God is obligated to bless you, obligated to give you everything you want, give you a baby. Uh, this statement, if we left it by itself, verses, one, verses 5 through 7, it would be an oxymoron it, to the old people, to the old traditions, to the old way of thinking about how God worked in the world and how we're blessed. It, it just wouldn't add up. These two things don't go together, barrenness and righteousness. The equation was, you live a righteous life, God's going to give you whatever you want. And in those days... The proof of being a righteous person, the proof of being loved by God, the proof of being accepted by God was he'd give you a full house, many arrows in your quiver, so to speak. You'd have everything you want. That's how people think about religion. That, that's religion at a, at, a, at a low level, but a normal level, a, uh, a kind of, I'll do this, you do this, I'll scratch your back, you give me what I want whatever. We, it's, it's the idea that we can manipulate God by, by following his commands, doing what he wants, uh, obeying him in a variety of ways. He's going to bless us. And, and yet we see here that here's this righteous couple, the right bloodline, uh, serving God. He's a priest. Uh, they are heartbroken. It's hard to put into words in our culture, in our day, when having babies isn't what it once was, or it's not as important as it once was in many quarters of our culture. Uh, in, in, in the ancient times in Israel, the height of being blessed was a full, full house. Uh, to be a woman and be barren was to be seen as cursed, to be seen as uh, God is against you, God's not for you, um, you don't have what you really 
need or, or, or what, what everyone says is the good life. And so we see this, this couple, they're, they're righteous, but they're unblessed according to the people of the day. Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It's quite an honor. There was, there was uh, 24 divisions of priests, uh, estimated to be about 18,000 men. Uh, they would serve, uh, because there were so many divisions, you'd serve two weeks out of the year, maybe one week here and another week in a different part of the year. Uh, there, there's way too many men to serve in, in way too few positions. But Zechariah, he was given this honor of going into the holy place and making the incense offering. The Mishnah, uh, an ancient Jewish commentary uh, book uh, teaching on, on, the, on the Lord's commandments, it said that there's men that would go in there to take care of the tables, the altar to take care of the lamps, and then there's, there's guys that would go in and take care of the, the incense offering. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It, it just almost never happened. If you got, if you got selected out of the, that massive amount of priests, it was an awesome honor. And the belief was that the lot was directed by God. They, they, they picked lots, and, and if it fell to you, that was a divine providence, God's choice of you to go there. So it's a big deal. Now here's this old man, first time in his life, he's given this honor to go into the holy place. And while the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, it's morning and evening sacrifices. They, they, they take the incense, they do the incense offering before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice at the temple. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense in the holy place. Uh, Zachariah was troubled <laughs> That's an understatement. When he saw him, and he fell, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Uh, Zechariah is in the holy place. He's worshiping. Uh, the people outside are worshiping. They've gathered to worship. As we've gathered here to worship, we've come into the presence of the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. And an angel shows up. Angel of the Lord comes and speaks. Uh, how many times did Zechariah hold his wife when she was weeping because of her barrenness, her closed womb? How many times did Zechariah just look up to heaven and said, Lord, why? How many times did he feel like a failure as a husband? How many times did he feel like uh, their prayers weren't being heard? And now the old man, an angel comes and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And now you will have a child. Uh, and here's the, the fullness of time, the plan of God, the outflow of the eternal decrees. Your son will be the Elijah that was to come. If you turn back just a few pages uh, to the book of Malachi, we get a picture of the prophecy, the word of God that was spoken, the, word, the promises that were made that the Israelites believed would happen. They're happening to Zechariah and Elizabeth according to the word of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, who, who's, who's the me? It's Yahweh. It's the Lord God Almighty. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you'll delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, 
I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Before the coming of the king, Elijah will come in the name of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The turning of hearts, fathers that are sinning, fathers that are in rebellion, children that are sinning, children in rebellion, children and fathers, families that are rebelling against God. This Elijah that was to come, his name is John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah, the son of Elizabeth. He was calling the nation to repentance. He was calling the nation to turn back to God. Maybe even here today, we need to turn back to God. Maybe even here today, we need to repent and get right with the Lord before the coming of the king. But what a, what a word, what a message. This is that. From, from Malachi the prophet, the prophets of old, Isaiah spoke of one in Isaiah 40, going before the Lord to prepare the way, crying out, this is the Lord, repent, he's here, he's coming, he's arriving, get right with the Lord before the judgment comes. And so, Zechariah, he's going to come before the Lord, the Lord is coming. Again and again, it talks about the Lord. The Lord sent the angel. The Lord is going to follow this son of yours. He's going to make ready a people for the Lord prepared. The, the idea, the vision, the, the, the belief was that when Elijah come, he called everyone to repentance. And John the Baptist went out. He was revealed to Israel. He went out to the Jordan. He called people to repentance. And the whole nation, everyone in Judah and Judea, from Samaria, from the outer regions, they came and were baptized by John, ready for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And this is your son, Zechariah. This is your child, Elizabeth. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Isn't that nice of him to say it that way? <laughs> my old lady, she's even older than I am. He could have said something like that, but he didn't. She's advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which were fulfilled, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were all wondering at his delay in the temple. They're out there, and usually, you know, the rites are, you know, everything is orderly, and everything is just perfect. And he's delayed, and what's going on? This never happens. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. He went back to farming and husband, being a husband and going about his business. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. She felt shame for 60 years. She felt like a, a loser for 70 years. She felt like an outcast from God for all these years, even though she was righteous. And what Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't know, that God was waiting for just the right time to answer the prayer. God was waiting for just the right time, the fulfillment of the days, when everything lined up just right to bring them a son. God wasn't disappointed with them. God wasn't punishing them. God wasn't hating on them or he didn't abandon them. Sometimes we go through life and uh, we feel like we should get this or this should happen to us or why did you take away my mom or why did you le let that job fall apart? Why did you take away my business? And we get angry at God and we, we, we have a hard time trusting him. Why, why, why? And God says, wait, wait, wait. You don't know, no, no. <laughs> what I have planned. Would you trust me that I love you? Would you trust me that I'm good? Would you trust me that I'm bringing about something great? 
even if it means you going through suffering or you going through loss or disappointment. So the angel, uh, the angel has an issue with Zechariah. The issue has a problem with Zechariah because he says, I don't believe. I'm an old man. He's put God in a box. He's made God small. He's made God minuscule. He's made God tiny in his sight. He should have remembered. Remember Abram and Sarai? Abraham and Sarah? A barren woman in her old age? Or a promised child? He should have remembered Isaac and Rebekah. He should have remembered Jacob and Rachel. He should have re remembered Elkanah and Hannah. How God opened the wombs at just the right time and brought about his will at just the right time. He should have been somebody who believed God's power, believed God even for the impossible, trusted him, and, and he didn't. And so uh, he becomes an example for us as someone unbelieving. Somebody who receives the word of God, who hears the word of God, who hears but does not obey, who is spoken to but does not believe. This account is put in this Bible by the author Luke to say, not so you. You, as you hear the word of God, as you receive the promises of God, if you understood the truth of God, we call it to believe, trust, and obey. Like Mary. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Uh, the parallel accounts of verses 5 through 25 and 26 through 38, uh, there's many, many similarities, many uh, parallel statements, parallel happenings. Uh, in, in the first one, the holy place, God speaks, the angel Gabriel comes. But in the second one, not in a holy place, not to a holy woman, not to somebody that has the lineage, not to somebody who has a resume of greatness. She's a 12 or 13-year-old girl. What kind of resume could she have? Uh, not to Jerusalem. God's word comes. The angel comes. Not to the, the temple. Not to the holy place. In the presence of a holy God. The glory of God right behind the curtain. The Shekinah glory. Uh, the angel of the Lord goes to Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? What, what is there in Nazareth? A very negative connotation, very negative way of thinking about Nazareth. Because in Jerusalem, everyone thought Nazareth was the, uh, the podunk backwater place of Gentiles where the Jews had compromised their faith. Uh, there's a lot of Jews there in Galilee, but many of them had gone into business relations with the, with the pagans. They, they, they maybe compromised their faith. The pure people in Jerusalem saw Nazareth as unholy, unclean, a place for common people like us. And uh, Mary is this, uh, this, this girl. Um, you know, in, in, we, we don't understand some cult customs and some cultures and some ways of, of being around the world. Um, right now, there's, there's probably hundreds of millions of, of people in Mary and Joseph's spot, uh, living hand-to-mouth existence, very poor, 
um, peasant girl, maiden girl, whatever you want to call her, that uh, just is living a very short existence. Life was short. Um, life was often cheap. Uh, sometimes the way that, that things happened was in, in, a, in a culture where there's a lot of mouths to feed, there's not a lot of room in a house, uh, traditions developed like, uh, like arranged marriages. It's said that uh, women would bring two things into a, a marriage. They bring their virginity and they bring a dowry. And the dowry system, it can be abused, it can be, it can be treated in terrible uh, ways, uh, used in terrible ways. Uh, a house full of people with mouths to feed, it was a way that they, they'd raise this dowry, whether it be cows or sheep or, or, or money, and they'd give it to a man to take the, the, the woman off their hands, so to speak. For the man receiving the betrothal, receiving the dowry, uh, the tradition was he couldn't sleep with her for a year. He couldn't have her in his, in his house for a year, but he could have her services meaning she would go oftentimes from working in the home of her origin, her father's house, into the home of the betrothed and work for him. And then after a year, get married and then work for the rest of her life. So there, a, a, a dark way of looking at it was, here, here's this girl without a lot of hope, but she's living in a, in a small village, and, and what else does she have to hope for? And so to this woman, to this 12-year-old, 13-year-old, comes the Lord's angel, Gabriel, standing in the presence of God. And he says to her, greetings. Uh, uh, there's different ways of tra translating this. Hail, rejoice. O favored one, the Lord is with you. The old way of talking about it. Hail, Mary, full of grace. Um, the, the newer translations, uh, the Latin Vulgate went down that road of, of Hail Mary, full of grace, with the idea, and it's played out in the Middle Ages, uh, of Mary not just being a recipient of grace, a recipient of the blessings of God, but Mary being a depository of grace, and she was seen uh, over the, the theology that developed over the centuries as a distributor of grace, as a, as a distributor of God's redemption, a co-redemptrix is some churches in some parts of the world, call her. And it's terrible theology. It's a terrible, terrible way to look at things because somehow she's placed on the level of God and people pray to her and people, people seek her blessing. People seek for her to save them as co-redemptrix. And it all starts from a simple translation and a simple uh, lifting up of someone, a person, and raising them up to be something that they're not. And yet... The title that the angel gives her is favored one, blessed one, blessed richly. You've been chosen to be part of the work of God. You've been given a place, a central place in the plan of God, the working of God in history in the world, a recipient of grace, as we all are. None of us earn it. None of us achieve it. None of us merit it. None of us make it happen by our strength or by our intellect, by our godliness, by our righteousness, by our holiness. We all receive grace from God freely through faith in Him. God's mercy poured out over the world. God's grace given again and again and again freely to those who believe. So here's one who's favored by God, who's chosen by God, as Elizabeth and Zachariah were chosen. According to the plan of God, the, the decrees of God, the, 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 the workings of God, we don't understand, but God knows what he's doing. The Lord is with you. What a promise. Uh, you look back over the Old Testament, you look through Genesis, you look, look different places. The patriarchs, they were told, the Lord is with you, Isaac and Jacob. And the, the prophets, like, like Jeremiah or, or, or Moses before him, again and again, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. She's in the line of God's workmen. She's in the line of those whom God has chosen for his accomplishment of his purpose and his plan. And with the Lord with you, all things are possible. 
and we come from this side to this side of the cross to this side of, of, of redemptive, redemptive history. We come to those who have given our life to Jesus Christ and we come to know the truth that God has given us his spirit. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of the very God that was so holy that people couldn't approach. He's in us now through the grace of God. He is with us. Uh, Mary is, is told he is with you, and she's troubled by this greeting. I mean, again, think of her condition. Think of her circumstance. Had she ever left the village of Nazareth? Had she ever gone more than 10 miles away from her hometown? Had she ever seen the bigger world, what was out there? Probably not. And now the God of creation, she learned about him, probably from her father and her mother, she learned about him probably through the different services she went to. The creator of all has now chosen her for an incredible purpose. Wouldn't you be troubled? Wouldn't you be fearful and afraid? Who am I? Uh, and then the angel tells her what's going to happen. And here's where faith comes in. Here's where belief comes in. Here's where her pride needs to be removed, if there's any there at all, to trust the Lord and believe what he said. Notice, as we celebrate today the coming of the king, as we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus, notice how he's described. If you look at verse 29, she was troubled tried to discern what sort of greeting this must be. An angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Again, favor with God. You've been graced by God. It's okay. He's got you. He's called you. He's going to work through you. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. And so there's a truth given and a commandment given. You're going to bear a son. You're going to conceive in your womb. Uh, Jesus' birth wasn't a miraculous birth, but his conception was a miraculous conception. God placed Jesus in Mary's womb without the benefit of a father's contribution. A great miracle, a great wonder is promised to Mary. The commandment is, you shall name his, his, give his name Jesus. Well, what does Jesus mean? It means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. The commandment is tell, tell the people, tell the world that that's his name because that's his function, that's his purpose. Jesus is a teacher, Jesus is a preacher, Jesus is a healer, but Jesus is a rescuer. He's the deliverer, he's the savior. Yahweh saves and he saves through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Uh, the commandment, would she keep it? Would she believe what she's told? Would she, would, would, would she do what God said? Would she follow according to God's will? The, the identity of the Lord we're worshiping today, the Lord who was born, the, the Lord who grew up and, and walked in our ways, the Lord who went in to the cross for us, the Lord who died, the Lord who was buried, the Lord who was raised on the third day, the Lord who ascended into heaven on the 40th day, the, the Lord who reigns and rules over the entire cosmos today. Mary... He will be great, verse 32, and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Uh, the son of the most high, the, uh, the kings like Solomon and, and all the, the ones that followed in his line of Judah and all the ones that followed in the line of Israel. Oftentimes they're called sons of God or sons of the most high. They were the ones that were tasked with the uh, stewardship of Israel under the Lord's reign, sons of God, so to speak. Mary, your child will be a son of God, the son of God, the Messiah that your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and, and the lineage <clears throat> for so long have been praying for. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Uh, fascinating for us, incredible for us, deep promises given to Mary. 
Your son will be like this. Your son will accomplish these things. His mission will be this. Your son. And just as God had promised through the prophet Malachi and through the prophet Isaiah that there would be one coming in the spirit of power of Elijah, he was born. He grew up. He walked in our ways. He preached the gospel of repentance. He was faithful to God just as John the Baptist came so did the promises given to the Israelites of old, given to David, given to his sons. They were all fulfilled as well. God's promises always come true. Uh, there's, there's many places we could go to talk about the promise of a Messiah, the promise of, of an eternal king, a forever king. But uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel Chapter 7, verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, just so you'll hear it. God makes promises. God keeps his promises. God prophesies and his word comes true. Try your idols and see if they can do what God can do. Try the false gods and see if they can keep the promises made hundreds and hundreds of years before come true. A thousand years before Jesus is born, God says this to David. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up <clears throat> offspring for you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And it goes on from there. But the promise of a Messiah, an eternal king, is now coming true because God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his word he will reign over the house in Luke chapter 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He'll be over Israel forever. Um, in, in the parallel accounts, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had a need for a baby. They, they didn't really need so much. But in, in this account, Israel needs a savior. They're under oppression. They're under the rule. See, in some senses, they've never really come home from exile because ever since they came home from Babylon, they've been under different powers, different authorities, different kingdoms. They still need deliverance. They still need rescue. So God promises that Jesus will fulfill their need. He will reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever. But beyond that, his kingdom will never end. Uh, he will be the eternal king. So we see all the promises. We see all the statements. <clears throat> what would you do if you're Mary? Find someone else. I'm not worthy. Find someone else that uh, can handle this burden. Maybe you'd say, uh, hey, I, I know someone down the street more righteous than I. Let her take it. What, what do you think Mary did? How do you think Mary responded? Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Remember Zachariah said very much the same thing. How will this be since, since I'm an old man and my wife's an old lady? Uh, is she questioning God? Is she doubting God? Is she an unbeliever too in the power of God? The angel answered. We know that the answer is no to that because of the way the angel answered her. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Um, the, uh, the distinction there between the son of the most high and the son of God in verse 30, 32 and verse 35. In verse 35, the distinction is he will be called holy, separate, distinct. He's not like the other kings of old. He's not just a, a human king in the line of David. He is holy. He is the son of God. God's holy son. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was once called barren. You remember your, your relative Elizabeth? The stories that were told at holidays, the things about her, how she's barren. She must have sinned. She must have done something evil not to have a child. All the years that uh, we heard about her depression and all the years we heard about her, her anxiety or whatever, and uh, now she has a child, Mary. The angel is giving her a sign. 
angel is giving her proof. The grace of God upon Mary, the, 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 the blessing to her, the kindness given to her. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Uh, you see the parallels with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah said, I don't think it's possible for God to do that. And so with Mary, the angel says, you realize, of course, nothing is impossible with God. Will you believe it? Will you trust in me? Will you hold on to me? Will you hear what I'm saying by the Lord's will? Will you be this woman to bear the child? Wow. Incredible moment for this 12-year-old. How does she respond? <clears throat> Luke writes this gospel, and throughout the gospel, he's given us story after story, account after account, teaching us about Jesus, teaching us that he's this and he's that. He, every, account, every account written in the gospel of Luke is, is tied together by the Spirit of God, by, by, by the author Luke's wisdom, in such a way to call us to respond to call us to believe, to call us to trust in Jesus, the Christ, that he is our Messiah and our Savior, and we could be saved by faith in him. And here, Mary becomes one of the great examples that Luke uses to teach us how we should respond to the word of God. God speaks, Mary listens. God commands, Mary obeys. God calls, Mary follows. Mary said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The announcement for the, from the angel, I think the best way to say it was, Rejoice, Mary. Favored one. The Lord is with you. Rejoice. It was an announcement, an invitation to rejoice at what God was doing. And then God, through the angels, shared all that was going to happen through her, a miraculous conception. Um, see, she, she, she questioned, how is it going to be since I'm a virgin? I, I don't understand. So it wasn't, a, a, it wasn't a rebellious statement. It was just a humble request. The angel could tell to her heart. It wasn't an unbelieving request. It was a request of, give me some more information. I need to know. And so by God's grace, he told her how it was going to happen. You're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's, it's kind of an echo of Genesis. Remember in Genesis 1, as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, and there was. The Spirit of God hovered over Mary, and God said, and there was the child. The grace of God, the power of God acting in her life. And she comes to the point of hearing God's word. And she believes. She comes to hear God's word. And what, what happened after Jesus was born? What did she do? She obeyed. She named him Jesus. What happened for the next 33 years? of his brushing off his, 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 his knee that just was bloodied when he fell down, the, uh, the things that happened at school, taking care of him, the, the, the troubles with uh, younger brothers and sisters that were angry at Jesus for being so righteous. How does she manipulate that? How does she handle that? For some 33 years, she was the mother that Jesus needed, taking on her role, taking on her responsibilities, doing the will of God as she was given. Her statement is, in all these things is, is incredible. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. It's a response of, I give you my whole life. A servant of the Lord, another way to translate that is, I am a slave of the Lord. Uh, and the word there is actually a bond slave, a bond servant. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week, where the idea was in the Roman Empire and in different places where you were impoverished or you didn't have a lot of resources, there wasn't government, government assistance or anything like that. If you became to the point of you couldn't feed yourself or you couldn't feed your family, you would, you would voluntarily sell yourself into slavery, become a bond slave. 
and you'd give your life totally to that master or that owner for five years or 10 years or however long the contract was. And Mary says, for the rest of my life, I belong to you. Uh, she's placed herself under the authority of God. She's surrendered her life. She's submitted her life to God and God alone. She belongs to him in her mind, both now and forevermore. What a statement. What a response. Again, Luke is telling us this story, this account, not only to tell us about Jesus' origins, where he came from, but he's calling us to say, look at Mary. Look at her response. Have you given your life to the Lord? Have you responded to his revelation, to his truth, to his Christ in such a way that you've bowed the knee, that you've given everything to him, that you've decided to not live for yourself, not to place yourself on the throne, but to get off that throne and place Jesus on that throne to live for him and him alone? It's a massive statement. It's countercultural to American values. It's countercultural to our individualistic styles and our individual ways of living and our desires. But there it is. Mary is the example, and a little child will lead them. She says, not only that, I, I am the Lord's servant. And she says, be it unto me everything that you've said. Be it unto me, as, as this is translated, let it be to me according to your word. There's so much theology there. There's so much richness there. There's so much depth there. A succinct way of saying, may you grace me again with everything you've said. May you grace me again with everything you've promised. May you grace me again with your will. Will you grace me again by calling me into your work? Will you grace me again by making me the person you want me to be? Let it be. May it be. Bring it about. I want to serve you and you alone. Mary heard. Mary listened. Mary heard. Mary responded. Mary was commanded. Mary obeyed. Mary gave her life to the Lord for the rest of her days to follow him. Uh, you know, we, we joke about predictions about the weather. We joke about what's going to come and, and, you know, the horoscopes and the palm readers and the astrologers are saying, in 2024, it's going to be like this. In, in this next year, this is going to happen. Here's who's going to win the election. Here's, here's what's going to happen in Israel. Here's what's going to happen there. You know, predictions and prophecies and promises made by people of the world. And God's word has come. And God has spoken. And it happens Jesus really was born. Jesus really did grow up. Jesus really did go to the cross. Jesus really did die. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really is the reigning king of the world today. Jesus really is going to come back. Jesus really is going to make the new heaven, the new earth. Jesus really is going to have a people in his kingdom living with him forever. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Have you trusted in the word of the Lord? Mary did, and she saw the promises of God come true. All of God's promises are going to come true. Dozens and dozens and dozens of prophecies have already been fulfilled. There's more to come, and they will all be fulfilled in the Lord's timing. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe him for life? Have you received the revelation as the word of God and have you accepted it, believed it, trusted in what he said? This is the, the account of Zachariah and Elizabeth where they, he doubted for a season. By God's grace, he came to believe. It's the story of Mary and, and Joseph believing and naming their son Jesus just as they had been told. It's a story of God making his plans real, executing his plans just the way he wants to. He's calling you today to believe in his word for life, to believe in Jesus for life. May God bless you as you face the challenge, as you face the 
the revelation and you need to decide for yourself, will I be a believer like Mary? Will I follow him in his word for the rest of my days like Jesus? May you and I be those who hear the word of God and obey. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to meet with you. We thank you for calling us to be here today to worship you. We thank you, Lord God, what you have done. We thank you, Lord God, what you have fulfilled. We thank you, Lord God, that this world is your world. This is our Father's world. And everything that you're going to do, give us the grace to believe that you're going to do it. Give us the, belief, the grace and the faith and the hope to trust you with the outcome of the world and what tomorrow is going to bring. Lord, the nations are going to make their decisions. The rulers are going to make their, their choices. But you reign. And we trust in you both today and tomorrow. You are God. We believe in you. Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.